and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Green. So Tom is the Head of Athletic Development at St Peter's RC High School. He's also the Youth Researcher at Science of Sport and he sits on the UK SCA Special Interest Group for Strength Conditioning in Schools, which makes him the perfect person today to discuss how you can use LTAD to make sure that you're optimising your youth development programme. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Tom onto the show. So Tom Green, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time, hasn't it? It's been uh, COVID has got in the way of us since we we've, we've last done a podcast together. Uh, but I'm really looking looking forward to this uh, and exciting to to hear you know and to to share and discuss LTAD with you today. Absolutely fantastic, mate. Well, you took the words out of my mouth, so I'm uh, also very much looking forward to it. Um, and I think it was episode 11 as well you were on, so that was uh, that was right back at the start. And this should be uh, episode 75. So we've uh, we've had a full year in between at least. Um, and uh, the last time you were on talking about uh, using learning experiences within schools, but this is looking more towards long-term athletic development. Before we begin, though, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Tom, Tom Green. I'm the head of athletic development at St. Peter's High School in Gloucester, um, and I run a full in-curricular strength and conditioning program. Uh, And on top of, I suppose, that, what I was doing last year, um, I've done my teacher training, which means now I'm a teacher as well, a qualified teacher, which uh, adds a lot of strings, I suppose, to my bow as a practitioner um, and has, has some good benefits with it. And I'm currently working with the UKSEA and looking to improve the provision of strength and conditioning within schools. I know and see every day the values of what, what I do, um, and I'm extremely fortunate to have the job I have. Um, but at the same time, it's not it's not a given, and it's still such a new um, a new area for you know for for development in schools. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what that turns out as well in the coming years. Absolutely excellent, mate. So. You're the perfect person then to discuss long-term athletic development, looking at your role and looking at the, the things that you're doing. Can you give us a quick then introduction as to what long-term athletic development is and where, where did the idea come from? Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the concept for me of kind of long-term uh, athletic development goes right back to, I, I don't know. I don't know where it starts, if I'm honest. Like to, to, From a pure philosophical perspective of how I view it, we do this every day, like, and I think we've probably been doing it um, kind of as we as we've developed as humans. I suppose. Have you watched um, Three Hundred, the film, Matt? Just I know I'm going off on a bit uh, of a tangent. Maybe, but not for like a number. I was probably a teenager okay. or like just out of those years. I don't know. Like, uh, it'd be a long mate. time ago, mate. That's going to be CPD then. <laughs> Homework. There you go. Go and watch it. I got a point. I'm not just just. just okay, yeah. <laughs> just to um, discuss films on the podcast. Then. Yeah, yeah. No, so so what you see in the starting sequence of the film 300 is something called like the agogi, which is in Greece means kind of education and upbringing. Um, and, and this was really the first documented um, LTAD model um, where they were looking at kind of education, um, but also various other skills such as martial arts, survival tactics, looking at Greek values. Um, and I think fast forward to the Cold War era, don't quote me on the dates, but I think 1947 to 1991. Um, and in e- the Eastern Europe, there was a lot of success. Sports scientists had a lot of success developing youngsters for competition um, and were progressing through kind of various systems. And I suppose more recently, the, the, the name that typically comes up with LTAD is kind of East Van, East Van Bali, 
um, and he's a bit of a household name when it comes to working with youth. Um, who, his work was uh, developed in Canada um, with various teams. And I suppose more currently today, you know, the YPD model by Roger and Lloyd is one that's really um, taken off. Um, and I think, you know, these are fantastic guides for, for working with youth. But to me, I think if I had to summarize LTD, LTAD sorry, really quickly, it's, it's an approach that we do day to day. Um, and if you look at the work of kind of Hans Salyer and Sapolsky, who looked at stress, um, you know, their work on accumulative stress. Um, so as coaches, we need to look at providing a system that continually stresses um, the athlete. Um, and, and the skill of us, I suppose, as coaches is to look at kind of when working with youth is to consider their chronological age, biological age, um, preferences of learning um, and all of the things that come with, you know, peak height velocity as well. Um, but for me, I think I think we do it day to day. I just think the LT, LTAD um, approach is systematic um, and it's something that we, we, you know, we use over time to develop athletes. And then when it comes to the, the evidence, uh, when you're looking at that, right? So you mentioned a ton of names, but when it comes to evidence, how much great literature is there out there when it comes to early specialization and long-term athletic development? Yeah, so I think I think we are, as an industry, so, so obviously doing the, the youth role, um, science for sport, uh, always reading, always, and within my job, you know, always reading, always looking at what's out there. Um, I really think we're still in the infancy of establishing what the best practice is when working with youth. Um, early specialization carries a lot of stigma. Um, and I think that it's really hard because my my experience from reading, and I suppose anecdotally of, of working with athletes on a day-to-day basis, is early specialization is still very evident in, in every everyday practice. Um, parents are sold and given you know the, the dream of professional sports and kind of that carrot is dangled all the time um and actually I, I still don't think we know what the best routes are um in terms of athletic development um from looking at it objectively um you know early specialization can work provided that there is diversification and sampling um is a good way to combat that so what i mean by that is if a footballer is playing in an academy um, they spend the first 10 to 15 minutes with that child working on their throwing and catching balance, um, a bit of volleyball, a bit of rugby tackling, you know, all those different things just to keep them rounded um, as an individual. And I suppose the other thing as well is that there is there's safety um, in secure sports knowledge. So, you know, if, if I was a, a head coach, um, early specialization brings about some benefits which are that the, the lingo and the culture and, and the everyday practice, you've spent so much time in that environment that you, you can be really valuable to a coach because you just get it. You don't need any work. It's a, it can be a bit of a lazy way to do it. The downsides of it are the burnout and the injury. And actually, when we look at you know, the, the statistical side of it, of making it as a professional, um, those who you know, early specialize don't often succeed as those who, who late specialize, unfortunately. I think that's that's the big one, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, when we talk about athletic development, a lot of people are trying to develop athletes. And if they're not going to make it as a professional, then those people are probably not doing their jobs. So yeah. with, with that in mind, 
what do you think are the biggest mistakes which are then made by practitioners when they implement some kind of uh, development model? Um, that's, that's a good question. I think for me that the start is potentially no knowledge of the endpoint, um, and that can be for two things. That can either be down to um, working in, say, when I was working in professional football, for example, we didn't know when a child was going to be let go um, or when they were going to be moved on. So you you sometimes with that individual don't have the, the luxury of time um, and it can be very much cramming what you can, um, which I, I don't advocate is, is not great, is not a great approach. Um, and I think sometimes as well, just not considering the roles of the parents within the process. Um, so something that I'm doing at the moment really focusing on is is termly, um, or t- sorry, every term having kind of some work that I will send home with the kids to discuss with the parents, um, meeting with the parents and having kind of, you know, presentations to them, uh, understanding, you know, what is what I call like a champion mindset, so just um, being a great person as well as being a great athlete, um, peak high velocity strength training, uh, things I call processes, recovery, nutrition, um, for the female students looking at kind of menstrual cycle and the role that that has on performance and and mood and, and how we can be more sensitive to that. And I think that is something that, that coaches aren't really doing or considering in their, their LTAD models is, is the role of the parent who, who you know, has a real invested interest in their child's development. Um, and we, we don't consider that enough would, would be two things. Uh, and I suppose the final thing is um, pro, uh, processes within the LTAD model or uh, what you say, you know, our micro, macro cycles, all of this, how we are going to actually favor the um, or consider the learning um, learning preferences of the children. So how does our practice change throughout the year to create independent learners? It's all good saying that you want an individual who is accountable by the end of year two. How are you going to do that as a coach? I think that's something that we, we still need to work on. I think that's uh, some super interesting points and obviously some brilliant reflection points for a lot of coaches listening as well so that's really interesting um but i want to move on to the the kind of the nitty-gritty the the x's and o's so what do you then think that that younger children should be doing when it comes to long-term athletic development yeah sure so so um i'd say by younger children i i would classify that so i work in secondary school right so they come at 11 years old for me um in in my kind of uh, context younger is below 11 years old so I'm talking kind of I suppose 5 to 5 to 10 5 to 11 um, I think hiding key patterns um, which are fun is really important so a squat actually can be quite a boring movement um, and changing it I, I have like funny names for exercises you know I say sometimes tall to small um, when I'm looking at kind of a squat pattern like get as tall as you can get as small as you can um, RDL patterns are play like a little cliff edge game where they have to kind of uh, stand just in front of a bench and they've got like a little fishing rod and they have to pick up the shuttlecocks with the fishing rod and I'm just grooving that hip hinge mechanic the kids don't know they're doing it it's just fantastic for them to, to be moving through that I'll play a little railway game where we're moving around pretending to be trained and I'll, I'll call out you know a stop and they need to drop into a lunge position and be balanced and from there we can raise the back leg. We can get our hands overhead. Um, we can, you know, put some hops into that as well and, and, and switch those positions. So all the playful things we do as coaches to make sure that those patterns are being um, practiced without them being necessarily 
three sets of 10 of a squat. Like it's really boring for a kid to do that. Um, how I'd like a young child to interact with exercise is appreciating the role of sport and health and fitness. And I know they're not going to do that from a young age, but I think getting them to understand really basic things, you know, put your hand on your chest. Can you feel your heart beating? This is what it's doing. Um, try and have a conversation with the person next to you, right? We're going to run around the room as fast as we can. And I want to get you to a stage where you really struggle to hold that conversation. And just by doing that, you're giving them access to hard work intensity um, without them realizing it. And I think that maybe the last thing is uh, driving kind of aerobic ceilings whilst they're young. So they are, you know, predominantly aerobic as, as youth athletes. They don't have the, um, you know, the biological advantage of, of muscle. Um, so I, I think it's a real limiting factor. I think, you know, for, for me, even as an adult now, pushing my aerobic capacity on is a lot harder than my strength. And that's partly down to attitude and, and kind of it's the last thing I want to be doing is feeling sick on a on a bike or on a run. Um, but kids have, you know, that capacity, that energy, that oxidative energy system is, is predominantly acting. So drive the ceiling as high as you can. And I think when they hit the young, the later ages, you know, that kind of 11 to 16, 17, 18, they've got that already. And, and you can kind of add to that slowly, but it's, there's a good base there to work with. I think that's, that's absolutely excellent advice. And when we then take that forwards to look at slightly older children, how does that then change? Because obviously you've, you've mentioned a load of great factors which need to be considered for, for younger people, but what's different then as they grow? Definitely. Yeah. So, so you mentioned it earlier as well. It's like LTAD is not just about professional athletes. It's about upskilling them and giving them the opportunities to develop uh, employability skills and relationship skills and all of those things. So the first thing I'd say is one of the most overlooked things for me or, or components of a good LTAD um, or S&C program acting with children is that, you know, for them to develop the habit and the capacity to train three times a week is actually really valuable. You know, as a professional athlete, it's day in, day out. Uh, it's something they're going to be have to do. And for them to have the, you know, the robustness in their neuromuscular system to do that, automatically puts them hands and hearts above everyone else because they can deal with that training load and it will fluctuate and other other factors will come into that but it's it's a good base right um the second thing as well for me then is that they be behave and feel empowered in the weight room which is, is really important for me is that they can leave they leave the school program they leave whatever ltad program they actually feel comfortable to go in the gym write their own programs understand what sets and reps mean um, and really practically i think the the movement control, technical information of movement is really important for the children. Uh, I look at the athletic motor skills competences model, which is where uh, they would suggest that a lower body bilateral and unilateral movement, upper body push and pull, both in vertical and horizontal planes, um, anti-rotation, core bracing. And I would add personally to that, I'd add extension work in there because I think we spend so much time as a society and kids in flexion, yeah, in sitting positions. And actually get an appreciation of, of the hip flexors and lower backs, you know, their role in, in extension. Um, jumping, landing and rebounding mechanics are key there. There's throwing, grasping and catching. Uh, acceleration, deceleration and reacceleration training. And I would, would definitely add reactive strength into that. And I know, I know that falls under a different kind of category, particularly that reacceleration, that ability to move from eccentric to concentric contractions. But I don't know if we spend a lot of time there as coaches, you know, actually training that that ability and, and feeling the difference between a stiff plant and a loose plant of the foot, 
how do we get out of those those kind of banks a bit quicker uh, incorporating all of these things you know at a very basic level i think will lead to it is an excellent platform sorry for a child to move forward well, that's, a, that's a very comprehensive uh, excellent list and i think what a lot of people could do very nicely based on that is probably use those as headings on the top of an Excel spreadsheet or, or whatever and uh, start to make their own progressions and move through those different kind of uh, competencies to make sure they're actually giving some kind of, of development plan which which starts from uh, maybe zero and moves up to 10 instead of uh, just taking random selections of stuff from different places and throwing it all in. So that's uh, that's some fantastic advice. Um, and then when when athletes obviously come out of that LTAD kind of model, uh, or at least towards the end of it, they're, they're going to start to specialize, right? So the very yeah. few professional footballers who also have a, a bit of a rugby game on a Saturday and then go and play for Man United. So how how late or early in that sense do you think that the kids should be specializing? Um, that's like a that's a really hard question because sometimes I think that choice is is taken from an individual because of pressures from coaches. Um, you know, certain sports, if I think of uh, golf, gymnastics, um, even football, you know, requires players or athletes, you know, whatever you want to call them, to be to be competent prior to 16. Um, particularly gymnasts, I think it's a really interesting sport um, and something that I have a lot of experience working with young gymnasts who lack a lot of, of those FMS skills. As soon as they come out of gymnastics, they can't transfer a lot of what they've done to um, to netball, you know, they're throwing and catching, their reading of the game, their kind of perception action coupling is not there from a, a landing mechanic side of things. You know, they're taught to jump and land with feet together. Um, and there's pressure, there's pressure on them. So I think, you know, this brings the challenges again, like I said, the burnout injury, um, female athlete triad. Um, anecdotally, um, but again, like built on experience of what I've seen, I'd say 15 years of age is when I'd like to see a student really apply some thought um, and consideration into what direction they want to go. It means that we can shape the last couple of years that we have with them into making their program a bit more specific, um, looking at those key patterns and needs analysis for that sport. What are the injuries? What is your injury background as an individual? And what do we need to do together to make sure you are you know, robust and, and, and able to go into that environment um, You know, is really important for me. I think that's some some brilliant advice again. Um, and what I'd really like to do is, is start to bring this to life as well. So when when you look at the work which you're doing, have you got any specific examples of how you progress a, a skill or a set of skills throughout a child's yeah. development? I suppose, yeah, yeah, to a degree. So there, there's certain things that, you know, that I want. Um, I call them like tissue standards. So there's things that I want every kid to be able to do. Um, and that is an active hang for 30 seconds. Um, I want them to. What do you mean by that, to, sorry, mate? An active hang. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so, sorry. So they're like hanging off of a uh, hanging off a bar, mm-hmm. but the scaps are engaged in that process, so they're not okay, kind of yeah. sagging in that movement. They're, they're it's, it's an active hang, um, and they they have you know the, the shoulder sitting nicely in the in the socket, and, and they've they've switched on that upper back. Um, I want them to be able to squat with ten percent of their body weight, you know, for twenty reps flawlessly as a minimum. Um, plank I don't want them to be able to plank for five minutes like if they can plank for 30 to 60 seconds I'm happy I want every kid to be able to go out and do a 5k run without you know batting an eyelid that needs to be easy Um, 
from calf raises, you know, 25 calf raises, um, single leg work, single leg hamstring. I want to see 20 reps on that. Um, and as a minimum for me, every kid needs to be able to do eight pull-ups by the time that they are um, year nine. You know, they, they all need to have that absolutely smashed in the locker. And that's the bare minimum. That's, that's what I want for, for the minimum side of things. And when I get a kid in at 11 years old, um, for the first two years, basic movement patterns, my program is going to be somewhat unstructured because I'm looking to emphasize fun. Um, I'm building processes slowly, processes such as being enthusiastic, supportive, punctual, organized, and engaged. Um, and I'm looking at mobility and stability as kind of a second priority within that. So my movement patterns are being developed, um, including landing patterns and jumping patterns, um, and then focusing on that mobility and that stability as a secondary, um, addressing any issues that I see within that first two-year block. Moving through to kind of 13 to 14, again, I'm still focusing on basic movement patterns. This is commonly where they will be in circa peak height velocity. So we will see that adolescence awkwardness and, and limitations in movement. So mobility becomes a high focus again. Uh, refocusing on landing mechanics because of altered limb lengths and kind of muscle uh, firing patterns. And, and in that stage, then I'm looking for kind of competitive, consistent, empathetic with the room because people are going to have lost PBs or they're going to have they're going to look a bit different or feel a little bit different about themselves. I want them to be aggressive in competition at this age. I want them to, you know, be moving now to be more dominant in their in their competition. Um, moving forward, then between 15 and 16, power derivatives become really important for me. Um, you know, I, I'm really going through this quick. There are we do loads of medicine ball work. Um, we build up. They will Olympic lift by the time they're 12 to 13, but it's not the biggest thing that I'm chasing. Um, I want them to be accountable again. Um, I think self-aware, assertive, um, and committed by the time they're 15 to 16. You know, excellent role models to those who are below them uh, within the program and within any LTAD model. They should be leading and emitting the highest standards of, of you know, your, your organizational club. Mate, you have absolutely smashed through that answer in ridiculous amounts of time, uh, short amounts of time, I mean, and there's so much information to take in there, but that is absolutely fantastic. Um, so I think that's uh, that's it time-wise, and I'm pretty sure that everyone who's listened has now just got a thousand things flowing through their head as well. So it's good to to get that turned off and allow people to get a little, uh, little trickle of information <laughs> into their brain so they can take some key points from this. Um, but Tom, massive thanks for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking. No worries at all. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, buddy. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Tom for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. And the Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'm sure there's a ton of great lectures which you'll enjoy on youth development in there. And you can do that completely for free using the seven-day free trial in the show notes. So all you have to do is click that link in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I would also really appreciate it if you could take just a second to give us a rating and a review. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.